Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick here of Aleph Insights. And this week we're talking about whether planning what you're going to do is a bad idea. Chris, is planning stuff a, a bad idea? Well, that obviously depends. But for um, there were a couple of cases uh, recently in, in British politics where where that seems to be the case that planning things has had a, a negative effect. Um, there's a, a prominent example was um, the Labour Party at its recent recent conference. Uh, John McDonald, the, the shadow um, chancellor, uh, mentioned that um, the Labour Party. Uh, was preparing for government, and as part of that preparation for government, they were um, doing sort of scenario planning based on uh, a run on the pound as a result of Labour coming coming to government, and this uh, had an uh, had an effect of um, making it look as though Labour might Labour coming to power might correlate with um, a, a run on the pound. So the fact that they were planning for something, which is ordinarily a, a, a good idea, uh, actually had a sort of, um, uh, a not a, not a, yes, not a reassuring effect. It had a, had a, a sort of unnerving effect on, on people. But just to say, I don't, I don't think the problem there was planning. I think the problem there was telling people that you're planning. Um, I think it's a communications thing. Yes, that's that's true uh, up to a point, but generally in government. So, um, for example, the the um, the UK government at the time of the Brexit uh, um, referendum refused to do any planning. They actually didn't do any planning for what would happen in the event that. Uh, Brexit occurred because their policy was that it wasn't going to happen. Their policy was that it was wasn't going to happen, <laughs> yeah. but they rightly, I think, interpreted that in planning for it to to happen, they would be acknowledging that this was a likely thing to to occur. So I think you know, um in big public policy areas, it's impossible to keep planning secret on mm. on most on most issues you know the highest sort of security issues you know there's a small group of people who who deal with that but for for large public policy issues um planning is impossible to keep secret so actually sometimes under those kinds of circumstances it it it, it potentially pays not to do the planning um nick yeah i think this is a big Big issue here. I mean, the, the the so the government is getting a lot of criticism from all uh, areas of the press at the moment for apparently not being not being planned up enough about Brexit and Brexit negotiations and so on. Um, and I think there's a lot of naivety in the way that people in what people are expecting from the government. I mean, it's a negotiation. Sort of rule number one of negotiations is you don't tell people what your strategy is. Uh, we we cannot infer that the government doesn't have a strategy from the fact that it isn't telling anyone what it is. Uh, we th- things like um, you know saying yes, well we're we're going to be prepared for a no deal Brexit uh, is absolutely what you're meant to do. You you have to you have to make it look like you're fine with uh, the negotiation fa- negotiation failing. Um, you know, so the and um, you you di- I mean the, the sort of theory of negotiation is that there's a pot of 
value on the table and you're basically arguing about how to divvy it up and there's going to be some you've got an outside option you know what 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 what's the minimum you'll accept from that from that apportionment and you you want to make it look like that minimum is quite high so that the opponent has to give you more and um you know so uh, it makes that total sense that the government isn't telling you on what it's what its calculus is and uh, it, it also makes sense for them to plan for a no deal brexit that, that so that the government's behavior is indistinguishable from just good negotiation strategy here however it might also be the case that they really don't have a plan uh, i don't know if um if we know one way or the other and if so who is actually the guardian of those plans um but so the the it's very well understood that you don't tell people you don't show people your cards in a game of poker you definitely lose if you do that right you don't you don't tell people what your plan is in a negotiation or in a number of other different strategic situations um the question is is it sometimes good to not have a plan at all to not even have that plan in the first place and um and i think that's that's where we get into the interesting zone as chris said you know there is there's first of all there's the um the argument of secrecy that actually if we were being explicit if we wrote it down could get leaked and then we're doomed you know we're scuppered because the other side has seen effectively seen our cards but there might be other reasons as well i mean there are, there might be reasons of um of uh, uh you know actually being able to leave things flexible and leave things to discretion um, mean that you're able to be more improvisatory if you're in a situation where there is a lot of uncertainty or a lot of, you know, where the strategic environment might change quite rapidly. Uh, you don't necessarily want to be locked into a plan. And then, of course, planning itself has costs. You know, it might be that the um, that the, the costs of, uh, of making and maintaining a plan outweigh whatever slight improvement you might get from, from better decisions. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I also think there are benefits to not not having a plan which uh occur from genuine spontaneity so um you know in a negotiation um you might form a better relationship with the other partner by by genuinely responding to what they're doing if you look at the difference in reception of um public speaking for example between something that's scripted and something which is uh, you know, generally spontaneous. Generally, audiences respond better to the thing which comes across as as being spontaneous. Um, and I think there, you know, there may be some truth to that in a in a negotiating in, environment. It as takes well, a, it takes a lot of practice to be able to improvise spontaneously. That's, that's right. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. a sort of Meticulous jazz planning. paradox. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I mean, I think the, there's an interesting. Let's, let's take sort of the the UK's nuclear use doctrine, uh, which no one knows what it is, right? So we don't we don't even know if it exists. It's we've got a deliberate uh, strategic ambiguity that our policy is not to tell anyone when we would use nuclear weapons, and um, that's actually pretty good. I mean, it means that you know the the, the uh, hypothetical enemy, um, you know, doesn't know what what it what response it's going to meet with you know whereas if we let's say we drew a line down the middle of germany and said well you know if any if any enemy forces set foot west of this line we'll we'll nuke them um then you know it's merely an invitation to to drive right up to that line and stop there you know uh so a red line presumably a big big red big yeah. red line or yeah. thin or would it be a thin red line i don't yeah. know um and uh and so you know you don't you that strategic ambiguity there it 
helps us and it means that if we had let's say we had some rule you know uh when uh, you know x numbers of um we get x numbers of incoming missiles you know from somewhere will respond with nuclear weapons the problem is that then you know you might you might find that uh, actually that at the time for some hitherto unimagined contextual reason uh that was no longer the optimal response and and be having this deliberate policy of of strategic ambiguity lets you you know lets you make those decisions at the time and but of course you know it has this big downside which is that um it makes it actually makes working out what the best thing to do is very difficult what you the question ceases is no longer what should we do under this range of circumstances but what kind of processes ought we to have what kind of people ought to we ought we to have what kinds of decision processes do we want to implement on you know in these kinds of circumstances um so it becomes it, you know it becomes something much more like you're, you're having to kind of build a robust system without necessarily knowing what it's going to do or how it's going to behave uh, which is a harder problem than merely appraising a strategy which says you know under these circumstances we're going to do x hmm. um I think, you know, we're straying, sometimes we're straying towards a different um, discussion, which is um, behavior and transparency of intention and that kind of thing, um, which I think we've sort of covered elsewhere. Um, but I think you've come back onto it there on the issue with planning. Um, I, yeah, Chris? yeah, no, I, just to sort of um, move it back into the, the, the issue of, you know, spontaneity versus yeah. planning. I think, I think there are a number of arguments as to why we might as individuals perform better when we're making it up as we go along and flying mm -hmm. flying by the seat of our pants and you know there's 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 in sort of cognitive psychology there there are a, a, a number of um pieces of evidence which are starting to show the power of uh, being forced to think spontaneously um and so f for example in um in you know very often we have competition between uh internal and external thought so internal thought being sort of things we're dredging up from our memory and our own own mind and external thought being our monitoring of external stimuli and you, you can see that where you know example examples of where you're sort of trying to listen to something but your mind is is wandering you're going into internal thought you're supposed to be doing external thought and uh, internal thought is competing it uh, competing with it or where you um uh, you want to think of something you want to remember something and so you close your eyes and sort of try and shut out external stimuli it's, it's very difficult for us to combine those two things uh, at the same time but there's some evidence to show that when we are having to um, think spontaneously and, and creatively that um, competition becomes uh, the, the, we're better able to merge those two types of thinking and so actually cognitively we're able to perform better you know that's that's one theory behind what what's behind the essence of um of creative thought and why you know we we, we generate um better ideas under those well it's interesting to hear that because i in in some senses i i sometimes let, let's say just making it purely personal um sometimes there's an element of i like sort of making a plan let's say i'm making a plan of what i want to do um, with my career or life over the next five years and I kind of like sort of thinking that up and doing that but actually I don't like the feeling of following that plan um, and I find I find planning a little bit restrictive um, and um, it reminds me of I, I, when I was at university um, a friend on the same course 
as me we were talking together about our approach to life and one of the things he liked was sort of seeing what's coming at you in life the different challenges and risks and so on and sort of um as he put it shimmying in and out and avoiding those and you got a lot of pleasure out of that um and i guess that in a, in a way was planning and and what i said no what i really enjoy is sort of you don't know what's coming or you see stuff coming and you just go straight on head into it and just i find a certain joy in that kind of unexpected of hence, throwing hence myself your frequent trips to a and e yeah well and, and well this is the thing he's now a lawyer and sort of lives quite a stable and quite a nice life and i'm not and you're I still a bohemian <laughs> yeah exactly i you know i've lived this as you know i'm sort of quite a beatnik and uh well there is this i mean there's a cliche that's uh you know it's true it's a true cliche which is and it's been put into the mouths of almost every military uh you know thinker in the last sort of thousand plan. years which is uh well more the one that that goes um you know plans are useless but planning is essential and I, I kind of subscribe to that. I think my own, and this really, my own experience, having you know worked in the in sort of the intelligence analysis area in government, is is that actually um, a lot of the decision makers. So these might be people who are formulating a policy about what we're going to, you know, what equipment we're going to buy, or you know, what kinds of contingencies we should plan for, and how we should respond if a certain country were to, you know, were to collapse into chaos. Um, that actually often the value is added, not at the stage where you're thinking critically and saying, well, how many people do we need here and what will be the effect of there and where's which airfield, uh, you know, are we going to use? Um, the value is added when you are exposing people to these possibilities, you know, and actually just getting them to think uh, what, you know, roughly what will we do in under these circumstances? You know, if there's a civil war here, and then, you know, often people will sort of think, oh, I hadn't even, you know, I hadn't even crossed my mind that there was a possibility. That then stimulates enough sort of latent thought that, you know, when those sorts of things actually do happen, you know, people are prepared, not necessarily because there's an off-the-shelf plan that they can, you know, pull down and use, but but they, they already have the sort of basic idea, the basic ingredients are there um, already, you know, in the store cup, as it were, to, to be sort of mixed together at the right ratio. I don't know how much I can stretch this metaphor for. I think I've, I think it's run out. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Uh, we need to wrap up, um, but before we do, so um, yeah, I mean, how much of a, of a planner are you, Chris? I bet you're a big planner. Uh, yes, I am a big a big planner. Uh, I I like to um, I like to figure out the different permutations that could could emerge and sort of think roughly what i'm what i'm going to do but i also i also sort of am happy to put myself in a in a set of circumstances knowing that something will something will you know through necessity you will generate a response and a and a plausible one adapt improvise overcome <laughs> that's that's precisely uh yes another another cliche that i uh, i try not to adhere to um but um but yeah i th- i think the 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 issue of whether or, or whether planning is a is a good idea or not is really is really task specific you know there are things that are adversarial and, and involve you having to interact with an, with another person you know you need to you need to have a level of spontaneity about that you can't conceive of every possible option they're, they're going to uh, uh, c- come back with um, and you know equally um, planning to reassure you know so so if it's a set of circumstances that people are worried about and you 
plan for it and you talk about it, you know, a bit like the um, the sort of government policy of duck and cover when we had the Cold War and uh, the threat of, of nuclear Armageddon. You know, duck and cover was a, an attempt to reassure people. It's planning for something that people were worried about uh, and saying there's a, there's a solution, you know, here's how we mitigate that risk. Where I think planning it actually creates alarm is where it's something that people aren't actually concerned about or thinking about as being plausible and if you start saying i'm planning for this event you know of, of of aliens invading or whatever and suddenly it validates that that possibility and the plausibility of that possibility. you know when you get a phone phone call from the school and it's right first thing i want to say is don't worry you know becky's fine and yeah. you're like oh my god what's happened to her yeah. you know the reassuring thing is actually you know i yeah. but it's interesting you mentioned duck and cover because that that as i understand it caused a lot of um uh, caused a, a, a sort of un, unwitting escalation in the Cold War because the, the Soviets thought that the Americans were kind of planning to be able to win a nuclear war. And uh, I think some, some Soviet intelligence analysts interpreted duck and cover and the associated sort of, you know, civil... Um, civil planning as as being sort of well if we we can we can meaning that the americans would be kind of more happy to have a nuclear war uh you know in the first place so what, it, you go on sorry. no i mean it just but no i mean that's just an interesting aside really well i don't uh, think it is an aside because it's i think that brings us back round nicely to the beginning of the question is planning is planning a bad thing it depends well, i think the first thing you said chris well it depends on the situation and there's another example where like the run on the pound uh that um the labor was purported to be planning for um you know had negative unforeseen consequences um and the same with this with um duck and cover also uh, when someone else got wind of it had um uh, again potentially negative effects so I think it sort of brings us right back now. Yeah, nice, right? And planning, planning, has an has an impact on how things are going to turn out. I think that's the, the key thing to remember: is by planning for something, you are having an impact on how events are likely to turn out. Hmm. I mean, you know, decision making consists of lots of different things, right? So you've got planning isn't just about working out what we think is going to happen and what we're going to do. A key part of it is working out what you're trying to achieve and to be consistent about that. And, you know, again, that's something that's valuable, even even though that doesn't by itself determine a course of action. Actually, a lot of ambiguity about, um, you know, in policymaking is because the government hasn't really quite worked out what it cares about. And I, I think, in you know, in the case of Brexit, for example, you know, sitting down and saying, well, how much how much do we actually want these particular outcomes will be valuable before you've even decided, you know, what what you think is on the table. And as I have learnt um, from this series of podcasts with yourselves, is um, it often always comes back to well, what are your aims? What do you want to achieve? So good. If if that's your takeaway, I, I feel like you know it's great. Now all you need to do is actually answer that question, and then you'll be sorted. But I'm going to go off and write a plan about it. Um, okay, gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. Um, my name's Fraser McGrew. We've been listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast with Nick Hare and Chris Rag of Aleph Insights. That's all for now. Until next time, bye-bye.